Welcome to the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I am your host, Jake Downs. I'm a fourth grade teacher, PhD student at Utah State University, and someone who just wants to know more about reading. This podcast is about bridging literacy research and practice. Every episode, you'll hear from a literacy researcher about their work, why it matters, and how to turn it into practice in your classroom. Hello, and welcome to episode four of the Teaching Literacy Podcast. I'm super excited this week to continue our conversation with Dr. Chase Young. Dr. Young is an associate professor of literacy at Sam Houston State University, and he recently co-authored a book with Timothy Rosinski that's titled Tiered Fluency Instruction, Supporting Diverse Learners in Grades 2 through 5. It's a fantastic book. I really enjoyed reading it because it provides a whole ton of reading fluency ideas, and then it looks at it through the RTI framework. So there's Tier 1 ideas in there, Tier 2, and then Tier 3. And as you move throughout the tiers, the instruction gets a little bit more targeted and a little bit more intense. Last week in episode three, Dr. Young and I talked about the components of reading fluency and then how to use Reader's Theater as an effective tier one reading fluency support practice. And uh, this week, I just we're going to shoehorn you right in the middle of our conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about tier two and tier three ideas of how to support learners and developing their fluency. It's a fantastic conversation. I got a lot out of it. I know you'll get a lot out of it as well. Stick around after the conversation and you'll be able to hear my two cents on what Dr. Young and I talked about. So without further ado, we're just going to plop you right into the middle of our conversation here. And thanks for listening. Moving on from Tier 1, if there may be students that don't respond to excellent Tier 1 fluency support. Uh, so then we're moving into Tier 2 where uh, they might need more targeted support in a small group two to three times per week or more. Um, can you give us an idea of a, a Tier 2 uh, fluency intervention that would work in small groups? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I will warn you, as we move into the tiers, they're going to seem a little less engaging because they are a little, they're going to be less fun. Um, and they're going to be a little less authentic because reader theater is kind of the, the approach we took to turn repeated readings into something authentic. Cause why would you read anything over and over and over? Okay. Because of a performance, but here at the fluency development lesson, uh, and when we get into tier three, it's a little bit different. So, uh, the fluency development lesson is actually uh, created by Tim Rosinski as well. Uh, and it is overall just helping kids read a text over and over and over in different ways. Um, and so you can choose any text you want. I highly recommend picking some quality text. Uh, poetry is great. Uh, there's, there's tons of good uh, classical poetry or humorous poetry out there like Poetry for Kids. Um, I believe is Ken Nesbitt's site, and it has classics like, um, you know, cockroach sandwich for my lunch, hate the taste, but love the crunch. Um, and you know, just whatever there's, uh, so identify a text 
it could be a short story, it could be nonfiction, and it's really whatever you're, what you think your kids would like. And in a small group, you, you read, at, read the text out loud to them while they follow along, and you can do that two or three times um, it, until you see them looking a little more comfortable. And then you start to, uh, you can do a choral reading of it, uh, where all of you read it together. Uh, and then you could do that two or three times, and then you could split them into partners. Uh, and have partners read the same text two or three times to each other. Uh, and the, the partner that's listening can provide support uh, and encouragement uh, for the other one. And then the students take it home and read it to somebody. And I think that's important because, you know, Tim Brzezinski is famous for saying that he thinks that every kid should be able to read something successfully every day. Um, not only for the instructional benefits, but also because of the confidence and, and motivation aspects of being able to take something home and, and read it to your family or dog or bowl of fruit, uh, you know, with it successfully, accurately, and, and you know, as, as a good reader. Um, and then after they take it home and they read it to somebody or themselves in the mirror, uh, they they can bring it back to school and they can uh, they they read it to the teacher when they first come in or they can read it to uh, a friend um, and then or they could even you know in groups you could perform it for each other but essentially the fundamental and underlying research uh, driving the fluency development lesson is the fact that they are practicing reading a lot and then you might have students that. Uh, they still aren't responding well to a tier two intervention and they need more support beyond that. Um, so we move into tier three and you, and like you said at the beginning, you recommend one-on-one -on -one in these um, simply because it's, it's a fluency emergency that uh, these are students that they aren't, they aren't going to progress out of that tier three situation unless they receive um, some heavy uh, targeted focused intervention. Um, and that can be hard to carve out as a teacher, but it's, it's worth it in, in the long run. Um, so tell us about an intervention that you would recommend uh, for a tier three one-on-one -on -one intervention with students that have significant fluency struggles. Yeah, you got it. Um, I think I'll say something about this one-on-one -on -one thing as well. Um, you know, a lot of times we have volunteers or we have um, uh, paras or paraprofessionals working in our classrooms. And you know, Dick Allington has been saying this forever because he's observed the most struggling readers getting put with somebody else. Um, and, and in a lot of cases, that's frankly illegal. <laughs> you know, uh, this, the most, the, the certified teacher is the, the, the best trained and, uh, and responsible for this. So what I recommend in, if you can't do the one-on-one, -on -one, you know, before or after school in a tutoring situation that you utilize your volunteers or your paraprofessionals with the rest of the class and you work with that student one-on-one. -on -one. You could even see this as like a guided reading group of its own. So you're calling groups, but then you call up, say, little Chase who can't read so well and it's his own group. Um, because he doesn't really fit anywhere else. Uh, so, so we have to be creative in, in ways. Now, we have conducted studies with Read to Impress, which is the intervention that I'm going to talk about, where we did train volunteers, uh, the secretary, uh, parents, everybody, 
because it was such an, an emergency at a particular in a particular district where where students were struggling greatly with automaticity uh, and fluency. So, so it is possible to have volunteers do this, uh, and it's better than not doing it at all. So, read to impress is an intervention that really you can't do with more than one kid because it's highly calibrated um, and, and you know, it's, it's kind of a combination of the neurological impress, which was um, R.G. Heckelman uh, back in the 60s, uh, used it a lot in, uh, in resource rooms and, and, and uh, uh, students who were really, really struggling. Um, so what you do is you choose a text that's about a year above the student's instructional level. Uh, and that's because we're going to provide such support and scaffolding um, through this process that they're, they're often able to, um, to, to read the text. And because it's such an emergency, we pretty much have to drag them by the teeth and bring them where they need to be. Um, because if they're not where they need to be by third grade, you know, the research says that the odds of them catching up are... Um, are not very good. Uh, so Read to Impress starts with a, a text that's about a year above their level. And what you do is you sit down with a student and you begin with neurological impress method, which essentially is where you and the student begin reading out loud. And as soon as you kind of catch each other and you're reading out loud together, the teacher or tutor Read, begins to read slightly ahead of the student, maybe like a syllable. So essentially, as soon as you're saying it, they're seeing it and also saying it. Now, the key here is to maintain that lead. So you're having to shift your, your pace to, to match the students, well, just to stay above, because sometimes they slow down, sometimes they get a little bit faster. And you're also reading with really good expression. Um, so they hear that. And the difference between read to impress and neurological impress is that we chunk the text. So we may do a paragraph with a student who's reading, you know, a novel, or may do just a page with a picture book, uh, or you can do it with a poem or, again, the Wikipedia page of South Texas or whatever it is. Um, but you read that chunk, neurological impress style, so you're reading with good expression, staying right ahead of them, and then you stop and you have that student read it back to you. Um, and what you hear is yourself. Uh, I believe Heckelman and uh, um, back in the day called it, uh, referred to it as etching. So it kind of etches your reading expression in their brains. And that's going to help support comprehension as well, because we have that, that connection between the reading expression and, and reading comprehension. So, and then you move on to the next page or chunk of text and you read it NIM style, neurological impress style. Then you have them read it back to you, and then you keep going. Um, when we first were messing with this, actually, it was with your chair. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, with, it was with Kit, Dr. Moore, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Moore. Uh, and uh, we call it, she wanted to call it Chase Me, Show Me, because that was cute. And I was like, oh, yeah, we use my name. But what we ended up calling <laughs> it was Reading Together. Um, but then reading teacher, when we were first publishing it, we're like, oh, that's the name of something from the seventies. So we had to change it. So cleverly we came up with read to impress. Um, so they, they just, we just keep doing that. And we do that for about 20 minutes a day 
if it's a younger reader, you know, kindergarten, first grade, um, maybe 10 minutes a day, and then you can move to, you know, 20 to 30 with, with um, uh, you know, second and above, just depending on their stamina. But we've seen some really impressive things. When we first developed it or was messing with it, we took um, a third grader from a end of first grade level um, to on grade level, uh, mid third grade in about, I believe it was 12 weeks of this type of tutoring. And since then we've done studies in several districts. Um, and you know, we've had statistically significant, uh, improvements in reading comprehension and overall reading achievement, as well as reading fluency. So, you know, while these are fluency interventions, the real goal we have to keep in mind is building their fluency so it can serve as a foundation for reading comprehension. And and so it is pretty intensive, the 15 minutes a day, but, you know, over the course of 12 weeks, if, you know, if a student's able to make those types of gains, that's, that's pretty impressive. Right. And, you know, we're not real sure if it's how we set it up or the fact that they're actually reading every day. Uh, you know, I if it's mean, the volume, the volume factor. Could be there, the yeah. volume. You know, there's a few extraneous, you know, variables uh, that we can't really control for. I guess we could set up a study where we just had a kid read out loud every day for 15 minutes and then one group actually engage in this. One of the, the studies you did with Read to Impress, didn't you measure reader attitudes as well? We sure did. We sure did. And, um, our null hypothesis was not rejected. In other words, it did not have an effect on attitude at all. Um, now, we saw their ability to answer reading comprehension questions increase. Their retail stood significantly increased. Accuracy, fluency, expression, all of these things. But all the measures of attitude toward reading, recreational and, um, and academic, <laughs> hardly moved at all. And we didn't really think that it would in the time frame that we had. We, you know, uh, we did a pre and post and, you know, changing a reader's attitude that, you know, they view themselves as struggling readers. Like, I only work with those that have, you know, difficulty. Nobody calls me when they're like, hey, everything's perfect. You should come out. So, you know, they, they've identified as a struggling reader for so long that, you know, I I think it takes just as long of being a great reader for them to forget that they were ever, you know, found it difficult. So I think if we had followed these kids along in a couple of years, um, maybe that attitude would have changed. And in fact, I have, it's a crazy little story about one of the kids that was in the treatment group. I went back to this school where we did uh, one of the studies and I walked into a classroom in a second grade classroom, but this kid was in first grade during the study and cause he was identified as struggling at risk for reading failure. And I walked in and I was like, Hey, what's up buddy? And I said his name, I'll go ahead and keep it private, I guess. And he was like, Oh, Mr. Young and came up and gave me a big hug. And I went and talked to his teacher and I was like, she's like, how do you know him? I was like, Oh, he was in the study last year. She goes, Oh no, no, no. he couldn't have been. He's, my best reader. And I was like, um, no, well, and then, so I conceded to her. I was like, you know what? Maybe he was in the control group. And she's like, yeah, that's probably what it was. And I walked out of the classroom and about 30 seconds later, she came running out of the classroom crying. And she was like, he came up to me after you left and he looked at me in the face and he was kind of teary eyed and said, I'll never forget that guy. He's the one who taught me how to read. And I was like, 
yeah. And then he came out to the hall and we had like this little hug session and it was crazy. So, you know, we look at the stats, but behind the stats, you know, there's a kid behind each one of those numbers and we can't help them all with the interventions that we have available, but we can, we can sure try. Well, that's, that's a great story that I guess your career's done now. I mean, after, after yeah, that, that's, exactly. that's the high water. I've retired. We, yep. Absolutely. <laughs> So thanks for walking us through those three tiers. What recommendations would you give for a teacher who's sees the vision and, and wants to support uh, their students better in, in their classroom with fluency? Well, first of all, don't view fluency as a scary word or as a race. Uh, think about ways where you can have students read a lot and, and read out loud and for various purposes. You can take a look at the book that, you know, has framed this. It's a tiered fluency instruction supporting diverse learners in grades two through five. They named it two through five. Uh, it can be used with, you know, kindergarten and first as well, as well as middle school. Uh, we uh, use this with, with middle schoolers as well. In fact, the neurological impress was first tested uh, with middle schoolers uh, over a summer and I think the average gain was like 2.6 years in, in, in reading achievement. Um, so feel free to branch out from the two through five. Um, so, I mean, you know, just be thinking it. There's, there's lots of great strategies out there. You know, you can take the fundamentals of what we've been talking about today of repeated readings of challenging text and you know you don't have to do reader's theater you can switch it to anything you could uh have students rehearse speeches you could have um uh students recite poetry have poetry slams um just any way that you can motivate students to repeatedly read uh in order to master a text is a uh is you know that i'm sure that would be a winner Thanks so much for a great discussion, Dr. Young. This has been fantastic. In your opinion, what makes a good teacher? What makes a good teacher? Well, I'll start with a soft spot and be like, a good teacher is somebody who truly cares about their students and, and builds relationships with them. Um, you know, without that, they they don't really, you know, they won't, you won't get as much from them as, uh, you know, as you could. Uh, so mutual respect is super important. Um, also, I think a teacher who's willing to take risks uh, and apply research in their classrooms, it, those are great teachers. Uh, sometimes we have conversations and they're like, when do I do Reader's Theater? I'm like, I don't have, they're like, I don't have any time in my, in my schedule. And then, you know, I'll ask them be like, hey, do you do like morning work? And They'll be like, yeah, stop doing that. <laughs> really, all it is is, you know, so you can finish your coffee and they can come in and do something without bugging you. So get rid of stuff. Do curriculum audits constantly. Say, okay, I've been doing this for about two years now. Has it impacted my students? I don't know. Go ahead and test it out. And if it's not working, dump it. That's what makes a good teacher. A teacher who really is willing to take those risks um, because they truly care about those kids. I don't think there's one, you know, adult out there that I taught in elementary school that calls me up and says, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for helping me get an 86 on the state standardized test in third grade. That's not what they remember at all. Uh, and that's not what impacted uh, their education. So, you know, build those relationships and and teach your children well. Thanks so much again for coming on the show. We've been uh, the books we've been talking about is tiered fluency instruction supporting diverse learners in grades two through five. And, and again, you said you can branch out from there. 
uh, I found the book incredibly friendly to teachers, that it, it gives a nice solid base of, of the research, but also really is well organized to make it practical for teachers. Um, you also mentioned thebestclass.org, which is your website that has the Reader's Theater scripts. Um, and I believe there was a Facebook page for your uh, for your doc students. Do you want to mention that and maybe people can follow it if they're interested? Yeah, sure. Um, our, the docs, We have a literacy doctorate at Sam Houston State University, and our, and our Facebook page is SHSU Literacy. And, um, and it, it's pretty cool. A lot of teachers follow it that aren't even in the program because I post um, – uh, research articles twice a week, and anything else that might be interesting that uh, that teachers uh, may be able to read and possibly implement in their classrooms. Excellent. Uh, well, Dr. Chase Young, thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's been awesome. Wasn't that a great conversation with Dr. Young? I really appreciate him taking the time to join us on the podcast. The title of his book was Tiered Fluency Instruction, Supporting Diverse Learners in Grades 2 through 5, and he just provided us a little snapshot of what's in the book. I highly recommend it. I had a great time reading it, and I had a lot of solid takeaways for my classroom. My two cents about our discussion is the first thing is I really enjoyed the approach he took with the RTI framework of us being able as teachers to provide systems, multiple systems of support for our learners. So students are going to need different levels of support and teachers, we need to do what we can to meet those needs. So like he said in the show, some students, five minutes of Reader's Theater a day is all the fluency support that they need. And if we can give them that fluency support in those five minutes, that's great. That frees up a whole lot of time for us to be focusing on comprehension and vocabulary and oral language and other crucial components that it takes to make great readers. Some students, though, are going to need more intensive and more targeted fluency support. And for those students, we need to give them that support so that they are more likely to be able comprehenders and being able to read smooth, connected text uh, down the road because that's that's an essential skill to being a good reader. And so if we as teachers can screen and then intervene to provide all of our students with the support they need with reading fluency and, and across all areas of reading, of course, then that's when we're doing our job. So that was the first thing I really liked was just this was a great pragmatic way of looking at the RTI, of using the RTI framework in the classroom. Nothing abstract. It's just pragmatic. This is what a, this is what it can look like. My second takeaway from what I talked to them about is the read to impress method. Uh, that that was a method I was introduced by my mentor, Dr. Moore, who worked with Dr. Young on that research and publishing it. And it's one that I use in my classroom, and I keep using it because I like it. I like that it is able to help my struggling readers get into a connected text and to read uh, that text over an extended period of time. And it also helps them access text that they would otherwise not be able to access. So if you're going, you know, a grade or even two grades above their, you know, independent reading level, uh, you know, as indicated by reading comprehension data, you know, those are books that they likely would not be able to read or choose not to read on their own. But with a an adult mentor that's able to 
read out loud with them at the same time, model that prosody, stay just a sliver, just a syllable ahead of their natural pace, that it really stretches those readers, but it also helps support their comprehension. So the read to impress method, I'm a fan of it. I think it's a great way to support the fluency and to a degree the comprehension of my most at-risk readers. And it's one that I've, I've seen results from and I've enjoyed using it. So thanks so much for uh, joining us on this back-to-back episode with Dr. Young on Tiered Fluency Instruction. Remember, the name of the book is Tiered Fluency Instruction, Supporting Diverse Learners in Grades 2 through 5, and you can get that on Amazon or you can find it through your library. Um, Next week, we'll be talking with Dr. Ray Reitzel about his book, Young Meaning Makers, Comprehension in Grades K through 2. That's a fantastic conversation. It's also a long one that we're going to break up into two parts, but it'll be well worth it because there's a lot of great takeaways from there. So thanks for supporting the show. Feel free to subscribe. Feel free to give us a podcast review. Feel free, of course, to share it with a colleague of yours that you feel would benefit. And until next time, let's work on being just a little bit better at being great literacy teachers. Thanks for listening to our conversation today. Remember to check out the show notes for more details. If you have feedback or a show idea, feel free to email me at teachingliteracypodcast at gmail.com. This is Jake with the Teaching Literacy Podcast, and until next time, let's go and teach literacy just a little bit better.